Welcome back to the program. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you and praise you for who you are and for all that you do for us, for the ways that you take care of us and bless us. Lord, I ask that you'd bless me as I share in this program. I pray, Lord, that the words that I share would be um, words that bring life to those who listen, because, Lord, you are at work. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would be at work in uh, what happens here today. Thank you, Lord. And I make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just a couple of quick anecdotes, just as we get launched. The first is, I think that we often we often don't realize um, like where we actually bear fruit for God. Like where, where's that? Not that I'm trying to like build up a treasure in heaven, but if I were to stop and say, Tom, just pay attention to the messaging that comes to you about the work that you do, and uh, and and the messaging that comes that that is saying God worked through you, God blessed me through what you what happened here, and you were involved in that. And as at least a marker, at least one form of marker of, okay, so this was something that bore fruit. It's surprising to me how I can allow messaging to come, even if the messaging is from myself, like, oh, when I do this kind of spiritual activity, I feel so alive and it's bearing fruit in my life. When I, when I take in those positive messages, it's shocking that I don't build my life more around those things. I, I'll, give you, I'll give you a concrete, uh, the, the specific. Um, so one specific is uh, praying the rosary live on Facebook. So I mentioned to you on Monday, uh, on Monday's program, no, it was Tuesday's program, that I, once again, All Saints Day, I was and am committed to praying the rosary live on Facebook. And, um, and, I, and so I did, I have. I did it on Tuesday. It was so funny. Tuesday, sure enough, technology goes bad. <laughs> Just like, are you kidding? But got it done, even though it was much later at night than I wanted. Then I go from praying the rosary on uh, Tuesday night to the standard time I'm going to do it, which is at six in the morning. If I'm going to pray the, the rosary on Facebook and give the time that it takes, I, the only real option I have is first thing in the morning or maybe late at night. Right? Those are the two options. And they, that actually works okay for the folks that are, that are on. And so um, sure enough, I was back at it uh, yesterday morning, six in the morning, and this morning, six in the morning. And so I'm I, I, I'm back at it again, and what, what's happened is I, I ended up coming into contact with some messages from folks who started sharing testimonies about the blessing and the impact that praying the rosary live together on Facebook has. And, and you might just think, oh, why can't people just listen to like a recorded rosary? Well, it's because I pray for people. I'm actually praying for them, for their needs, and it's not just me. I'm not the only one who's praying for someone that comes on, uh, but I'm also uh, inviting others that are with me to pray for that person, for their needs. And there's just a variety of blessings that come from that kind of like intercessory activity where we are praying for people who are stumbling into these live encounters, these live moments of prayer online. And it's, it was one of those, oh yeah, like, how did I forget this? How did I not realize or remember just how powerful this is in the lives of people who end up getting blessed by it? And it makes me say, why don't I build my life around that? Let that be a prominent, like, I, I, I'm very comfortable eating and making sure that uh, my, my body is taken care of, but 
what about that spiritual activity? <laughs> it's like, why is that lower on the priority list? Why do I fight less for that, that mission right there, than I do other things in my life? It's why am I, why am I more committed to um, you know, doing something entertaining and enjoyable or relaxing for myself than I am committing to praying with people in a way that can change their lives. It's sad. It's sad. So, but then let's let's drag it down closer to your life. And 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 so maybe you're not someone who's joining me at six in the morning to pray the the rosary live, and you're thinking, well, that has very little to do with me. Actually, it can have something to do with you. Join me tomorrow. Come on, let's go. Be there six in the morning and experience it. Experience it yourself, and and just see what the Lord does to bless you to bless those that you're praying for, those situations and circumstances, but also to bless others through you. You'll be swept in. You'll be drawn into the act of being an intercessor, praying for others. And it can get, it can get pretty inspiring when you see like the numbers of people begin to grow and grow. Um, so I, you know, I think I had something only, I only had something like 85 on the first night and then like 60, um, on Wednesday morning, but it, it'll grow as it, it, people begin to get momentum with this. Uh, I would typically have several hundred people praying with me at a time around the world. And I think the most I've ever had was something like 1700 people at one time praying together. I don't mean like they stepped in at a certain point. No, no, they were all together there praying with me as we were praying for each other and also honoring God. Just when I think about the inspiring thought that somehow I, here I am in northwestern part of the country, am connected by dots to people literally around the world. It's like we're creating this net of blessing around the world. It's just awesome. It's really awesome. It's... um, it's funny because I don't have the same degree of connection when I use my Divine Office app. So I use that to make sure that I'm on the right page and making sure if it's a feast, I'm using the right special prayers for that feast day. But on the Divine Mercy app, when you click on a particular hour, it lets you know how many people are in prayer with you right at that moment around the world. Like how many people are also using this app to pray at that moment? And it's typically a couple hundred people, you know, two, three hundred people are online right then also praying. And, you know, I, I see it, I don't really think about it concretely because I don't sense any kind of real connection between them and me other than, oh, they've got the app open too. <laughs> so it feels different than when I'm, I'm praying the rosary online. But anyways, it's um, I, I just share that to say, come on out, check it out, get up early uh, and, and see, see what the Lord does to, to let that be a blessing to you. The other one is um, reading scripture. So reading scripture for me has been such a game changer. Just reading the scriptures uh, in my own personal prayer time, and then maybe even maybe even more, reflecting on scriptures together with others. And I, I've shared stories with um, with you on uh, through the years about um, the devotion, the, the the commitment that I made uh, to pray. Uh, with the scriptures and, and reflect on them together with a dear friend of mine. Uh, today's actually probably a, a neat day to, to mention him by name. His, his name's Father Pat Smith. He is the pastor of the Mother Church of the African-American Catholic Community in Washington, D.C., and the Archdiocese of Washington. And his first assignment as a pastor— he, after being ordained, was an associate for a couple of years, and then he was named pastor of St. Martin de Porres uh, Catholic Church 
in Southern Maryland. And today's the feast day of St. Martin de Porres. And so, uh, you know, a great saint and hero in the um, African-American Catholic community. And so uh, uh, it, it was, uh, it's kind of a neat day to remind me that it was, uh, he, he and I were the, uh, would commit to read together for a couple of hours it ended up going, and we would just read Second Corinthians together. And just verse by verse, word by word, and and the conversations would just go on and on. It was so powerful and beautiful. Um, we did that my third year in the seminary, my first year in Rome. He was a year ahead of me. And well, guess what? Well, uh, we have made a commitment as a family at 8.30 at night. We made sure it was 8.30, because 8.30 gives the kids a chance to get homework done, and 8.30 is also before 9. Carrie has... My wife, Carrie, has some kind of like shut-off button at nine. <laughs> I don't mean like technology gets shut down. I mean her brain gets shut down. And uh, the kids are close to the like meltdown button. Uh, not not the older kids, the younger kids. They just need to get to bed to get some sleep. So 8.30, um, we committed on Sunday at our family meeting that we would read scripture together and I said, let's read 2 Corinthians. And so uh, it's right now as I'm recording this program, it's um, just before our time of uh, family prayer. And so um, I'll tell you what, I'm actually going to not be done with the program. So I'm going to be doing this program with you until our time of family prayer. And then I'll come back afterwards and I'll tell you how it went. (laughs) There you go. There's, there's a, there's coming up close right into into my own family's life. the The third thing that I would mention is this: is that um, speaking in a way that is discreet but humble on the radio has also been a blessing, I think, to others. When when folks talk with me uh, about sound insight. Uh, it, this is anecdotal, but if you know, if they just say, "Oh, I listen to you on the radio," here's the one I like the best, and it's by far number one. The number one thing on the list is the programs when Carrie and I are on, and the reason is, so it seems, is that they just sort of smile and shake their head and they say, "I just can't believe, um, like." how you guys are so vulnerable or transparent or just share so openly um, about what you guys are uh, wrestling with or how you're walking out your faith. Because we, we don't present a sanitized, we're right, you're wrong, we're the teachers, you should listen to us approach to the faith. But we, we do definitely strive to be uh, discreet, you know, don't share unnecessary details, um, and yet at the same time be humble enough to share as we feel prompted, as we feel led, precisely because, well, why do we do that? Because people don't feel alone. You don't feel alone if you realize that the things that you're struggling with, you know what? Oh, I'm struggling with them too. Uh, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're battling to be alert and attentive in your prayer. I get that. I've been there, done that. I live it. Um, And yet, at the same time, want to present you with a sense of motivation to keep pushing further, to go deeper, to not not just pause and uh, just give up. But to say, no, no, there's there's more. The, the Lord has more for you than you have yet imagined. The Lord has more for you to help you go deeper in faith. So with that in mind, uh, I have identified, uh, an, I've got a sheet of quotes. Uh, like a, a, This would be a handout that I've probably used at some point. And it's all texts from Hansers von Balthasar, um, the, one of the most favorite theologians of St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI. I've talked about him through the years. 
And I've got a few quotes that I'm going to share with you to let it be an encouragement, to let it be a bit of inspiration, to let it be something that will hopefully uh, encourage you, to motivate you, right, to say, I want to go deeper. I want to become more in God's sight. Okay, back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. Hey, quick fun story. Dinner time. Uh, We were asking, we were just having conversation. Carrie and I have been making an attempt to improve and uh, foster a a stronger sense of connection uh, at our meals. And one way to do that is not only locking them down like we're going to sit and we're going to not just have our meal, but we're going to also have conversation. And, uh, but it, it's not like we come equipped with, here are the 27 dinner conversations that every family must have. And so it sometimes just falls back into the standard paths. Well, I don't know how it happened, but uh, talking to um, John Luke, our a sophomore. He was saying in class, they were saying, well, if you were going to be a utensil in the kitchen, what would you be and why? As a way of like getting to know each other better. Very kind of cutesy. Um, but then it fell into a couple of other lines of conversation. And one of them was, hey, what is the, what's the most famous passage in 1 Corinthians? And it was we were talking about okay hey remember now family family scripture study family scripture sharing and prayer at eight thirty he says well what do you think the most famous passage is from First Corinthians and Annalise jumped out my eighth grader and said First Corinthians ten thirty one and I'm like I I wouldn't have said that it, John Luke said no I said I said well First Corinthians thirteen right, which is the love is patient love is kind right the famous hymn of love that you hear at uh, weddings. But she said, no, 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 no. First Corinthians 10, 31, for whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And I just love that because that's a, um, that's a passage of scripture that her basketball coach at the Oaks taught and instills in their kids. Uh, that, uh, and this, he's also a teacher at the Oaks and just a great guy, holy guy. He loves the Lord. And just to instill in these kids, you know, memorize certain scriptures, memorize these scriptures and let those scriptures be a, a foundation for your life. So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Um, so that was, f- so from there it went, well, what about First John? What's the most famous passage in First John? And I said, oh, well, First John, for, what's it? First John 4, 8 and 9. Uh, the love of God consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And he said, no, no, it would be it, where he says in First John, you know, beloved, um, love one another as I have loved you. And I thought, oh, that's, that's fair. That's probably a pretty good one, too. <laughs> and then he said, what about Matthew? And I, all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay. Is it Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God, and uh, all these other things will be given to you? I, I, one of my very first was Matthew 7.11, uh, which, or 7.12, 7.11, Do unto others as, uh, the, as, as you would have them do unto you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Um, so just, and, and then, we, then we moved on to another conversation. <laughs> okay. But quotes can take root. Quotes can express, especially when they're the word of God, they can take root and they can really have an impact on your life. So I'm going to share some quotes that I hope um, can have an impact on your life. That's why I'm sharing them. It's not just to say, oh, I like these. No, these these are profound and can have a, a big impact on your life. Okay, here's the first one. This is from von Balthasar's book, The Theology of History. Every Christian mission, if fulfilled, forms the basis of missions still to come. I just, I'm going to just stop there. That's just sentence one. 
Every Christian mission, if fulfilled, forms the basis of missions still to come. What that means is, is that there's more at stake in your life, in you fulfilling your mission, than only you fulfilling your mission. But in fact, you fulfilling your mission is going to help promote, develop, foster the fulfillment of the missions of those in, with whom you had some form of significant relationship. We can easily see this when it comes to a husband fulfilling his mission vis-a-vis his wife, vice versa. A mother, uh, a mother and father fulfilling their missions vis-a-vis their children, right? They the quality, the depth, the vitality of the fulfilling of our missions in those regards, in those roles, in those relationships, husband, father, wife, mother, um, in fact, are going to have an enormous impact on the kids and their own fulfilling of their missions. So, Let's continue. Every Christian mission, if fulfilled, forms the basis of missions still to come. If a Christian shirks the task of letting himself be built in at this particular point as a living stone in the spiritual temple, okay, so he's quoting 1 Peter 2, 5, that we are this, we are living stones, in this temple, and Jesus is the capstone, or the cornerstone. I think he's the capstone in 1 Peter 2. One or the other. They're both critical (laughs) to to a a building. Um, And so there's there's like a, a a place for you, kind of like a puzzle piece. There's a place for you. And so when when you come to discover or discern or not, Oh, wow, there's something at stake there. Because that puzzle piece is meant to f- be fitted in at a certain place. Um, but in, in the concept of a temple, if you're a living stone and you get put into a temple, well, there are other stones that are going to be put on top of you. And so that's going to be a little different than a puzzle, which will only have one little gap. Um, but what von Balthasar goes on to say is that if you shirk the task of letting yourself be brought into the part that is yours to play, be brought into the mission that is yours, then, this is back now to his quote, that Christian alters for the worse the missions of all those who were to have let themselves be built higher upon him on the foundation of his completed mission. And that, again, is a, it, it, doesn't it break open your way of looking at your own life to realize what's at stake in it? What's at stake in your life is, you know, you think of legacy, right? Oh, I'm saving up for retirement, not just for myself, but I want to have an inheritance to hand on to my kids. How many times do we ponder that the most important, the most profound, the most enduring the most valuable inheritance that we will ever pass on to our kids is the foundation of our completed mission, is, in fact, our relationship with God lived out well. Here's one way of saying it. You will never, it's kind of strong, you will never fulfill your call as a husband or a father without fulfilling your call as God's child, as, as, a, as a son of God. You will never fulfill your call as, as a, a mother without fulfilling your call to be a wife. And you'll never fulfill your call to be a wife without fulfilling your call to be a daughter of God. It gets traced back. There's the, just within the course of one, one's own life, there's a prioritization. There's, there's a foundation to it all. Like, how in the world am I going to bring the love of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord, the, the discernment about how to parent my child in this instance, if I'm not, in fact, in unity with my wife, and if I'm not also in a deep 
uh, uh, nearness, intimate relationship with the Lord. And, and you know what? The Lord redeems broken situations. He certainly does, right? I think of uh, situations of divorce where you have single moms who have uh, been abandoned by their spouses and here they are striving to fulfill their call to be a mother when they no longer have that ability to um, to live as a wife, the, the Lord steps in. He redeems those situations, and he says, I, I will give you the grace you need to be a mother. Focus on being my daughter, and I will give you the grace to also be a mother. For sure, right? So, but you begin to see how, in, in that instance of just the family, how clear it is, right? How strong it is to be faithful in fulfilling our call that's right in front of us. Or we face the reality of um, having those that are under our shepherding care who over whom we have stewardship will somehow not grow into the fullness of the mission that they have been given. That's just so strong. And this is the last sentence from that quote. All our destinies are interwoven. All our destinies are interwoven. And until the last of us has lived, the significance of the first cannot be finally clear. All our destinies are interwoven, and until the last of us has lived, the significance of the first cannot be finally clear clear. I Again, that is just not something that we really take into account very much, do we? That it's not only in that like pretty clear instance of um, being a, uh, a child of God to being a spouse to being a parent, right? Those things are so interwoven. But the idea that somehow you, you and I you and I are interwoven. Our, our destinies are interwoven. Our fulfillment of our missions are also interwoven. That's strong medicine. That is big deal stuff. So I need you to be faithful today to your God-given mission. I need you to be faithful in battling to be holy, fighting against sin, and, and uh, choosing to say yes to the Lord. That, I need that. I Well, I need that, and, and you need that from me. So let's not doubt that, right? I think we, I think we see that in part with the elections coming up, right? With the elections coming up, we have so much at stake, and, and a person doesn't get elected all by themselves. They get elected only because they have a, an enormous team of people, and they have supporters that will rally and doing little things, right? Put a sign up in front of the lawn, um, have a button, get involved in a campaign, pass out um, uh, campaign literature, et cetera. And um, I'm going to encourage you to look to sources of insight and wisdom for guidance regarding, uh, regarding the people that you should consider voting for to learn about their positions and how those positions line up with our Catholic faith or our Christian faith. I encourage you to um, look to the um, Family Policy Institute of Washington. Um, they produce a, a voter's guide to help give you some guidance. And there's a lot at stake, right? We have a Senate race at stake, and it's really clear that there is a candidate who is a radical supporter of baby slaughter through abortion. There just is. And I think that the Dobbs decision has shown with a a degree of clarity that the age of abortion is ending. The age where the scientific and medical community have now clearly come with a consensus that at conception there's a new life, a human life, a human life that ought to be supported and protected 
in law. And that right to life ought to be upheld and promoted in society. We just don't need uh, we just don't need legislators. We certainly don't need a senator that is a radical pro-abortion uh, advocate and supporter throughout their career. So uh, you have to make your own decision regarding what the right way to go is uh, on that. But I encourage you again, uh, do your own research. Uh, figure out who it is that is going to align with authentic uh, the God, with the gospel of life, with a Catholic vision of the world, and then vote accordingly. But please, take action and vote. All our destinies are interwoven. And until the last of us has lived, the significance of the first cannot be finally clear. Okay. Well, this is Tom Curran today on the program. I'm, uh, I, I'm doing something I'm hoping is encouraging, sharing with you some uh, insights, some thoughts, uh, taking quotes from Hansers von Balthasar uh, that are that are meant to be an encouragement, that are meant to be something to uh, give you a moment to just to sort of take in, take in the faith, take in um, what the Lord is saying to you today. All right, I'm up against a break. I'll be back with uh, more sound insight. Oh, and I'll also be back after my family prayer reading the scriptures. I'll tell you about that too in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Well, for you guys, it's just a couple of minutes. No, one minute, actually. <laughs> one minute break. For me, it was a 45-minute break. Went upstairs and uh, uh, had our family prayer. We had a chance to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And the focus of the sharing um, was actually building off of 1 Corinthians 10.31. Now, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. And it was, it was kind of a fascinating conversation to get the kids to ponder a bit more fully, what does that mean? What do you mean? What's, how do you eat for the glory of God? And so we got down to a really, I don't know, kind of, for me, it was an interesting conversation. If you're at the dinner table, what does eating for the glory of God look like compared to not eating for the glory of God? So, so there was a lot of human level stuff, like taking your turn and, and waiting for everybody and good manners and, and all of that. Um, but then, well, wait a minute, what's the distinctively Christian way of eating, eating in a way that glorifies God. Oh, well, you acknowledge him as the source of the blessing of having the food. And uh, and, and what, it, what ended up happening was we ended up going downstream from 1 Corinthians 10.31 to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, where it says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are the aroma of Christ for God among uh, Christ for God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And that was more evocative, being an aroma for Christ. What does what is that like? Because you know the kids get it. You know, if there's a if there's a strong odor, if there's a strong aroma, that whether it's good, whether it's again attractive, or whether it's repulsive, an, an odor has an impact. And so we started to talk about what does it mean to have an aroma for Christ. What's the aroma of Christ like? <laughs> Carrie was funny. Carrie's like, "Hey, I've got. Well, let's have a let's have a fragrance of the month." <laughs> <laughs> there's this like body wash that's like a evergreen, some kind of uh, balsa wood. And so that will be the aroma for this month. And when we smell it, we'll be reminded to be the aroma of Christ in our environments. So, um, I, but it was still like, what does that mean? I said, well, let me tell you a story. And so I told them a story about uh, being in the parking lot at school, I was there to pick up a couple of kids. One of the teachers, who's also assistant soccer coach, 
so it was said hi to me. So I was visiting with him. They were waiting to drive some kids on the soccer team over to the field for practice. And this teammate of my son's came out, and I had heard that he scored his first goal of the season at the last game. And so I, with enthusiasm, said, hey, congratulations. I heard about your goal and had a chance to give, uh, like, tell the story. And I heard it was really cool. And you made this move and that move. And the shot went like this. And, and you could see the kid just lit up. He just got so excited to be able to, like, to, to be in that spotlight, to be affirmed and celebrated, to be uh, called out in a way that was... Uh, like, a, uh, you know, um, something that was very positive. And I'm like, that's the aroma for Christ. I say, you have a chance to be able to lift people up, to draw attention to them in a positive way in front of others. And so, I, to be honest with you, the, the, the totality of the prayer time wasn't that impressive. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 2 is not an easy chapter of Scripture to pray through, and normally we wouldn't read through that much, like that long of a scripture, but it was it was a lot of hand wringing by Paul, <laughs> and so I just kind of let it go, and um, and and so there was a it was it was just a little bit harder to enter into that passage as a family scripture. I yeah, so I had to kind of humbly acknowledge that and just let it be and keep the kids on track in, in other ways. Anyway, so that was our family prayer time. Okay, let's go back to uh, these quotes. So the quotes are from Hans Urs von Balthasar. And uh, here's another one. I, this one's a lot shorter. So this one, I think you'll, again, be it's pretty striking. Okay, he says this. Every solitary hour that is truly such contains a challenge. That is why there is really, there is so little real solitude. Although we pretend to long for it, we avoid it and start up a noise within ourselves. I'll read that again. Every solitary hour. So it's not each and every hour. That's not what he means, right? Every solitary hour. Every hour where we step apart from others. And we are alone with God. Every hour when we have that sense of solitude, truly such contains a challenge. That is why there is so little real solitude. Although we pretend to long for it, we avoid it and start up a noise within ourselves. Well, first of all, do you realize this book was written about 70 years ago? 70 years ago, we avoid solitude, silence, and we start up a noise within ourselves. <laughs> yeah, hello. This is before, uh, you know, most modern forms of communication and media uh, were, were operating. And so the idea of solitude and uh, having a, some time alone was a common occurrence and, and natural to the flow of a day. Uh, but be that as it may, two things jump out at me. The first is that um, what was present then is so much more extreme in, in terms of the reality that it has today, where it's not just that we avoid solitude, it's that it's been taken from us. It's stripped away from us. It's something that it's almost as if we're not permitted. We're not permitted to have solitude because in some way we're just going to um, miss out. So we fill the space of solitude as if it's empty, as if there's nothing there, as if not having some form of media on is a, is a loss. It's a loss of an opportunity to fill our, our minds with more stuff, right, with more noise. And I, I just, when I hear that, I get tremendously saddened because we've just been robbed. We've just been robbed of authentic solitude, time alone with God. 
But the second part, the second part is that mm, he's right. It, there's a kind of a popular dream. It's like, ah, oh, just give me some time alone, some time in solitude. I just can relax. I could just let go and just do nothing, right? As if somehow that's what solitude is. No, when when we are alone with God and we quiet ourselves, the Lord is there to commune with us. And in communing with us is shining a light, is speaking a word. And remember that word is like a two-edged sword that pierces through the core of our being. He shines a light and wow, darkness does not like the light. Um, and so we are challenged, that's his point, that every solitary hour poses this challenge in our lives. And, and that doesn't mean don't do it. It means no wonder it's so easy to find excuses to avoid it. No wonder we allow ourselves to be swindled out of time and solitude and silence and simplicity. And so my encouragement to you is in these days that are getting darker before we hit uh, uh, the, uh, what's it, the... Um, the changing of the clocks. <laughs> there you go. Before we fall back an hour, um, we uh, daylight savings time. Uh, it things are dark, and there's there's a th- there's a way in which it just slows stuff down. So I encourage you to let the the flow of like light moving towards uh, darkness uh, that it'll be an opportunity for us to slow down to quiet down, to, um, to face the challenge. Because when the Lord challenges us, it's a challenge that's done out of love. And it's meant to help us to grow. It's meant to help us to grow in union with Him and to grow to be more fully His so that we can right, fulfill that mission that is truly ours. And as you know from what I shared earlier in that other quote, that's going to benefit everyone. Okay, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. Hey, it's going to get cold and windy here in the eastern part of the state. So cold enough where it could get a little, and windy enough where it could be a little bit dangerous. So just be careful out there when you're driving. Uh, roads can get slick, slippery, and uh, you don't want to be sliding around in your car. So um, just be careful. All right, I want to um, uh, read a quote on prayer because I think it's connected to this theme of being solitary. And it again, it's meant to be an encouragement to you. Uh, but I, I think one of the ways it'll encourage you is that it'll bring some light into the experience of our life of prayer. Through prayer, we should come to perceive and savor God within us. Uh, This isn't done, but that's just the first part. Through prayer, we should come to perceive and savor God within us. Uh, First of all, those are two different senses. Think of the five senses, right? The perceiving is probably a, uh, like most directly a reference to sight, right? Perception, but um, you could also say perceive, did you hear the voice? Did you sense the, the touch, right? So, but let's just say that it's probably a, a reference to like recognizing, using the, that idea of spiritual sight. Do I have the spiritual eyes to see that God is within me, recognizing that God is within me? But not just perceive, but also savor. Now, savor is referring to what sense? Well, the sense of taste. The sense of taste. One of the things that uh, our Catholic tradition does in uh, its reflection on the spiritual life is it develops a teaching on spiritual senses. And, interestingly, 
the spiritual senses, at least in some theologians, think Bonaventure as a good example, uh, the spiritual senses are an important way of describing this idea that we have contact, communion, and communication with God who is within us. And just as we have contact, a sense of communion and communication with the world around us through our five senses, right? Sight, hearing, uh, smelling, touching, and tasting, those five senses. And I used an order on purpose. But the most prominent or dominant sense is sight, followed by hearing, and then smell, touch, and taste. That's sort of a traditional ordering of the five senses. Well, there's a corresponding ordering or hierarchy to the spiritual senses. And what's interesting is that there's a reversal. There's a reversal in terms of the prioritization or the hierarchy. And so what that means specifically is that the sense that is the highest in the natural world, sight, perception, is the lowest in the spiritual world. And again, you might immediately say, hey, wait a minute, isn't the life of heaven uh, taught in, in terms of sight? Like the, the essence of if heaven is the beatific vision, vision right? Um, yeah, so we're not talking about that, that stream of reflection theologically. We're talking about rather the concept of deepening spiritual communion, deepening spiritual contact and communication with God spiritually. That sight, sound, and smell are three senses that require distance. They're, they're called mediated senses. So that there is a, a distinction between the sense faculty and the object that is connected to that sense being activated. So I see an object the object is not in my eye. I see the object with my eye through the space, right? And the same with hearing and the same with smell. Well, what's distinctive about touch and taste is that they are immediate, that there's no, uh, there's no distance between the object and the person who is coming into contact, communion, and communication with that object through the sense, so spiritually, in the use of the spiritual senses, if you go deeper into the spiritual life, it will be experienced or described through language of touch and taste. And so von Balthasar here is drawing upon that, that in prayer, he says, through prayer, we should come to perceive have that sense of God's presence and savor God within us. That the Blessed Trinity dwells in our heart. And you can not just have a sensitivity that God is moving and prompting and nudging and gracing me, uh, either from the outside or even from the inside, but that to savor, to have that sense of taste, that use that spiritual sense, that speaks or points to the beauty of a, let's call it a rich communion, a rich communion with. Because taste is is that sense that operates only when there is this like uh, immersion, right? You take something within you in order to taste it. And so there's a there's something very powerful there that von Balthasar is pointing to, that in prayer, the Lord 
wants to come and commune with us in a way that we can savor the very reality of his divinity. We can not just perceive it at a distance as an object, but have him come in such nearness to us that we savor him. And yet, in prayer, von Balthasar continues, we should not be seeking any enjoyment, but rather the pure service of God. So it's not like, you know, it's again a common thing for people to say, oh, I love to pray because I feel so at peace, as if somehow the the goal of prayer is to come to peace. Or, oh, I find it so helpful or refreshing to pray. No, (laughs) prayer is about attending to the most profound relationship that I have in life, and that is with my Creator, who's my Lord, who's my Savior, who is my loving God, who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm here to serve my Lord and love Him and believe in Him and communicate with Him, right? So that, oh, oh, and by the way, if that leads to enjoyment, praise be to God, but that's not why I do it. In order for us to learn how to unite both things, both the enjoyment that comes from prayer as well as the pure service of God, in order for us to learn to unite, to bring together into one both things, God takes us into his school, which consists in a continual alteration of consolations, and abandonments until we have learned how one can enjoy in an entirely selfless manner and how to experience enjoyment itself as service. That is so rich. So he says that, okay, I have to do this somewhat quickly here, that prayer is going to involve like a roller coaster ride. The, the Lord's going to draw us into uh, in the intimacy of, uh, of a profound union with him where we savor who he is, and that's that sense of consolation. And then there'll be this sense of God dropping off and disappearing, dropping off into darkness. And that darkness himself is a, 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 the Lord bringing us in, into an even deeper nearness but we experience it as darkness, and that darkness, that sense of abandonment, that sense of emptiness, that sense of, of being completely uh, in a dark night is used by the Lord to expand and stretch, to carve out a, a greater capacity for us to experience an even more profound nearness, intimacy, consolation. And so we are led into that next level. And then from there, we're brought into an even deeper darkness and abandonment and emptiness and dark night. And then we're led into an even more profound, bright light, savoring of God's glory. And to experience all of that as service, entirely selfless, honoring to God, whatever you want. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for these beautiful quotes from Hans Rizmo Balthazar. Hey, God bless your day, and join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.